Alrighty, so welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, and Adam, you'll have to forgive me, I had a beer on the weekend, just one, <gasps> and I think it may have shrunk my brain. <laughs> okay. Because it seems like everything's shrinking the brain now, Now, thankfully I haven't had COVID, but... Uh... So if I'm not as pithy tonight, I may have forgotten a word because of a single ale. So, oh, all right. I'm not sure how that's medically possible. That seems like uh, some. Oh, meta- that's true. I, I did my research. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was working my way to a doing your own research joke, but you. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> Timing's terrible when we're remote, right? It's like. Oh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. This week, the guest will be Father Andre Fiegel, who is the pastor of the Holy Protection of the Mother of God Ukrainian Catholic Church, which is down on York Road. Actually, it's almost technically on Gordon Street. It's on the other side of the covered bridge. See it from the bunker. Yeah, you can. Um, So we're going to talk to him about the uh, local Ukrainian-Canadian community and their humanitarian efforts and the concerns that they have for family abroad. And that includes Father Fiegel as well. He has family in Ukraine himself. And that's going to be in the bottom half of the hour. But for that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the week, including some pretty big resignations at Queen's Park last week. What does it mean for the pending election? But first, we do have to go back to Ukraine. Uh, Appreciating that news moves pretty quick in a war. Um, We're going to try and focus our conversation about Um, the status of refugees, because that is kind of the, I think that is the story, uh, especially with um, the Russian advance being stymied by soldiers who seem to be just like abandoning their tanks and um, (laughs) going into the Ukrainian woods, never to be seen again, or being captured by farmers and grandmothers. And, um, but the real story is, the refugees, people trying to get out of the way of the advancing army because there is signs that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Over 2.1 million people now uh, have fled Ukraine, according to the United Nations. Uh, about half of those, actually more than half, are in, uh, have gone to Poland by itself. And then, you know, we've had situations over the last few days where we've been trying to arrange uh, safe zones safe corridors, green corridors, I think they've been called, uh, for refugees to escape. Not always well observed by the Russian army uh, in in many of the cases of these ceasefires, including around the areas of uh, Mariupol, where there was a children's hospital and maternity ward destroyed and uh, smashed into rubble by mortar fire. So not great. Yeah, I heard that uh, actually just before we sat down. So, uh, and of course, it'll be reported back home as fake news, right? Mm. Anything across the border. The same with those surrenders. And the, there is a heck of a, of a lot of video out there of uh, equipment that has been uh, repurposed, let's say. <laughs> and I did see one of those ones with the uh, the elderly people chasing the Russians out of the yard. Thankfully, no one was uh, hurt in that. But the, the problem is, is that the hurting uh, continues with the shelling of 
civilian areas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as he said, 2.1 million destined to get larger. There, they, it seems the humanitarian corridors are open at this point, but there's it's been difficult. And at one point, in the ridiculousness of everything, it was like, well, we'll we'll open them up, but you can only come to Belarus and Russia. Like that's yeah, you're just you're just being. Ri- I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous, but that in particular is like. Like, imagine they're going to agree to that. There's, there's no way. So, of course, the, it's the largest refugee crisis in Europe in a, in a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Canada is going to take on a, a, a certain amount. Um, as to whether that path will lead to permanent residency, it doesn't sound like that's exactly the case. It's more of a... What did they call it? I had to write it down the special family reunification sponsorship pathway, mm-hmm. which is a mouthful way of saying you can come and stay for a while, but hopefully when things are better, you'll probably end up going back. And I suppose some of those will lead to permanent residency, I imagine. Uh, but Canada as a country is is famous for promises, but despite all of the fanfare, this is a difficult place to be a refugee. As we've seen with Afghanistan, the NATO mess that everybody's forgotten about since with everything else that's going on mm. about how many, uh, I think it was 40,000 Afghan people were promised citizenship and resettlement in August. And it's, I think it's less than 10,000, I believe is somewhere in the range of 85,000 people have made it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the kind of thing when Canada is doing it correctly, like it did in 2015, when all those Syrians came in, it was like, it was a very small window, like a hundred days. The problem with that was that that window just kind of slammed shut. So there's like, there's this announcement, there's fanfare, we're going to do this. And then it just bang, like it changes. And anybody that's trying to resettle in a situation like that, it's, it's not impossible, Mm -hmm. but I think people have it in their head about how this may go or how it should go. And then there is how it actually goes. And it's usually, at least in Canada's case, and the same with other some other countries. Although Europe is fairly wide open by the sounds of it, because Europe's demographics, they need people. It's like, you want to come here? Mm-hmm. You can come here. The door is open. Yeah, well, I mean... Or Ukrainians it, proper, not for, you know, the other... I guess we're going to get to that. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, yeah. it, it's not open for... Uh, everyone and, and like the scale of it too. And there, I mean, there's been a lot of reporting about how Europeans, you know, you have people from Italy driving to Poland to, to help out. And I mean, that's very heartwarming, but you know, when you think about the scale of this 2.1 million refugees in 12 and thir- 12 or 13 days versus 1.3 million Syrian refugees over a one-year period in 2015, one of those uh, you get the warm embrace of the European family, and another one it's called an invasion, and it's called um, you know a plot, and you know uh, it's you know it's it's hard not to um, see the systemic racism in that mm-hmm. that you know it, the problem is almost twice as big in the Ukraine, but it, it it's not considered a problem at all. Um, and then you see that with some of the reporting as well. You see some of the reporters saying, like, look at these refugees. They are good, hardworking, middle class, decent people. And it's like, oh, there weren't hardworking, middle class, decent people who like escaped Syria. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, and of course, like the people who are getting out now, 
and I'm not saying nobody should get out and they shouldn't be welcomed. Of course they should. But um, <laughs> the people who managed to get out in the first couple of weeks are people who are able to get out. Um, they have the means. Um, also, they have the, um, the, the physical ability. And, and we, there's been lots of stories on the news about people in our area who have family members in Ukraine um, who are staying put because they're looking after an elderly, elderly relative who can't make the 40 mile journey on foot. And there was a story about um, an orphanage in Ukraine that is uh, struggling because all the children they, they look after have special needs. And so they can't move foot because can you imagine corralling a couple of hundred kids with special needs oh, yeah. down a highway? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, lucky are the ones and like using the word lucky very, very loosely, but lucky are the ones who are able to get out ahead of the, the real pounding that is going to come. You know, it, it's very clear that Russia doesn't have it exact together. And that's probably good news that Ukraine is able to still be standing relatively tall two weeks after the invasion begins. But, you know, um, how long before Putin gets fed up with the world full of bad headlines and get his, you know, have his army get the hickory stick out? Oh, yeah. And that, yes, as you were saying there, I, I saw one. It was Baba in the in a shopping cart. Mm-hmm. being pushed along it's like we need to get out of here any any way that we can uh and any direction that we can there's something to be said for their rail system there and how it's interlinked in all of europe like they would mm-hmm. definitely if, if that comes into jeopardy anytime soon which may be the case unless they're just leaving it open so people can get out in the uh i guess in the guise of being humanitarian because there's not much you know at least coming from the from the Russian government in terms of humanitarian on this. And you mentioned Syria too, like uh, Russia's was in on that as well. It seems to be a bit of a pattern here mm-hmm. uh, in terms of indiscriminate bombing of c- civilian populations. And then the people are left to pick it up. And I, I, I th- it's amazing now with the am- amount of social media that is out there and the fact that it's still connected, how, quickly mm-hmm. we are seeing these things mm-hmm. uh there used to be a point and we're, we're seeing it i think a bit of it with the the legacy media being on the border like in poland talking to refugees as they arrive is sort of the classic way you would receive this mm-hmm. then if you go on other channels particularly reddit and twitter and that and you can see what's going on almost instantly and of right. course there are efforts to get that information into russia because i saw weird well there's this there was two short pieces that were uh, interesting today was Trevor Noah talking about what you were talking about in terms of the, the <laughs> reporters making pretty much, well, they are making racist comments, but you know, these are, these are the people that we want. And of course he does a mockery of it, but makes a really good point within two minutes, sums up the entire thing, especially when he says, well, you know, wars were Europe's entire thing. Yeah. Why, you know, why is this surprising? Because this is, is how it was for the longest time, right? Just the scale wasn't as, People seem to be forgetting about the Yugoslavian conflict, but we'll leave that for now, I guess. And mm. could go all day on these things, probably. But uh, what was I going to say about the other one? Well, Yugoslavia was also internal. And then there was the there was the thing that people would just kind of like, eh, what, do you, what did you think it was going to happen? They put a bunch of countries together and called it Yugoslavia. This was, you know, once communism was gone, it was going to be inevitable. And people kind of washed their hands of it until... Um, you know, people started hearing about some of the stuff Slob- Slobodan Milosevic was doing, and then it, you know, and NATO was willing to bomb it, though. 
Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, eventually, anyway. eventually, yeah. eventually. <laughs> but it's yeah, the social media aspect of this is because a lot of people are saying, well, you know, yeah, you, you have to be really careful about the information you parse. And I mean, you, that should be true no matter what the news story is. But there was an interesting feature on CNN on this past Sunday where they showed how they kind of verify stuff on social media and the, the like the extent that they go to and comparing stuff on like Google earth and finding landmarks and making sure, you know, everything is legit. And I mean, this is also uh, both a Ukraine thing and a Russia thing, because, you know, you hear just completely disproportionate things like from the Ukrainians, like, yeah, we captured, (laughs) we captured or killed 4,000 Russians and Russia's like, yeah, they got a couple of guys. What are you going to do? And (laughs) it's just, you know, well, who do you believe in this situation? Yeah. You want to, yeah, we're kind of rooting for Ukraine, but on the other hand, you know, uh, 4,000 guys seems like a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I saw one that was 12. Yeah. But that's, again, it's, it's unverified and you have to take it as such. Right. Mm. But yeah, and I, there was a bit too about the how those videos that are circulating, presumably of Russian soldiers calling their mom, and they're saying, "Well, that's you know, it's against the Geneva Convention." It's like, yeah, so is like shelling a children's hospital, right? So, <laughs> well, you know, so are cluster bombs <laughs> and cluster bombs and thermobaric weapons, and I mean, you name it. But that's you know, the sort of showing of the videos is mild because it's not. It, it's not a case of the soldiers are abusing them. It's more like it, it's kind of sad, actually. And they, they seem genuine enough. It's like, here, call your mother and tell her you're okay. Right. Tell her the truth about what's going on. I mean, that it seems legit. Like, well, we also a, know there's that- a possibility that it isn't, but it's like, why would you go to this trouble? Right. Well, we also know that's a thing that that is happening. And we talked about this last week, that there are a number of Russian conscripts who, um, you know, didn't know where they would end up and we're told they're going on a training exercise. Some of them, they conscript and then say, Oh no, we're going to change your paperwork to make it look like you're a volunteer. And then of course there's, you know, uh, reports that people are being arrested for protesting and they're being told, Oh, you want to get out of jail? Well, now you're in the army, which, you know, seems like straight out of like every nightmare scenario for every trap dodger in the Vietnam war, Mm -hmm. um, which is like, okay, long hair, you're either in the army or you're going to prison. Uh, so it's, I, I can, I can see why, I mean, this is as much an information war as it is a shooting war. Oh yeah. So it's, I, and this is almost kind of like the real first information war. I mean, we talk about info wars all the time, not the Alex Jones podcast of the same no, name, but just like, thankfully no, no. <laughs> the very nature of like fighting uh, a battle with information. But, you know, this is kind of the first um, where there's like kind of it, there's a, a real physical on the ground war, but there is also an information front in this war as well, which is mm-hmm. something I think is is totally new because all sides in this um, have that infrastructure built in. And yet some of it's old fashioned too. the rebooting of the, the BBC shortwave, which had been mm. disconnected. I guess they mm-hmm. probably had to realign uh, not to get too technical, but they would have to sort of reorient. They maintain it for Africa and other places, but anyway, enough yeah. about the BBC. But yeah, that's, <laughs> it's it's not a bad thing that they're doing that. But the question is, who's got the shortwave lying around anymore? I'm sure, actually, probably in some of those bunkers that they're in that are Cold War issue. I bet you they're shortwave built in. Oh yeah. So, but yeah, I, and 
the messaging too. Did you see that bizarro meeting with Putin and the uh, female pilots and air hostesses, and they all had their own individual teapot? And I'm like, where are you going with this guy? <laughs> like that that that's straight out of the 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 old school playbook, like the like Kim Jong Un with the five microphones and G with the, you know like that kind of setup. Yeah. It's like is there? I was wondering. I didn't do too deep a dive into it. Is there some sort of uh, symbolism going on with this tea ceremony with the women involved in uh, flight. I don't know. I guess it was something to do with International Women's Day, which was um, yeah, yeah, Tuesday, yeah. born of the Soviet Union, right? So yeah, uh, I don't know. But it's like that's because I, I guess one of them, I believe it was one of the pilots, was like, you know, we we agree totally with what you're doing in in the <laughs> Ukraine. This special operation is very important. I'm paraphrasing. It was something like that, but like, you just have to wonder what people are actually deeply believing in Russia or is, or is that sense of doubt? I mean, that the skepticism that came from years of living uh, under the Soviet right. regime. Yeah. I, I mean, people that I've met and known from the Soviet Union are like, you're born skeptical about stuff. I mean, even more so than. Well, that's Gen X or like myself, like it's, it's ingrained. That's like, you don't trust the government. Right. Well, that's the thing about uh, people think that, uh, you know, people in the Soviet union days were just kind of like indoctrinated and brainwashed. And it's like, well, that's not the case. They said what they had to say because, you know, otherwise you end up in a gulag. But the fact of the matter is a lot of those people were just like very savvy to government BS. And, um, you know, it was just a, a, a part of life. And, you know, one can make the argument we're kind of savvy to, to government BS, like with the performative things like the um, like a government press conference, let's say, um, <laughs> where the Minister of Health uh, comes out and confirms that, yep, yeah, she's not running for reelection. Uh, totally not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> but Christine Elliott did come out and do that last Friday. Uh, and it is kind of a big deal because uh she came she basically came back into government i mean she wasn't out of government service but now she's coming she she came back into elected office ostensibly to save the progressive conservative party ever after patrick brown's scandal uh back in 2018 she ended up losing that leadership bid by a very uh let's say uh electoral math to doug ford and uh but now she is uh, departing the stage once again. Yeah, wasn't that we, we need to go into the back room and have a bit of a talk? It was that close. Like, you know, yeah. I don't know if it was a coin toss or whatever. <laughs> but it didn't, she, hasn't she run for that leadership? Was it three times? Have I got three that times. right? Three times. That's uh, that's something. But it's, yeah, the, the, the fact that she is leaving and she is, you know, we think Doug Ford is the top dog. I, I would hazard that. Christine Elliott, I'm not saying that she's really calling the shots, but mm. she's a very strong candidate. And, you know, as I always say about, you know, giving a compliment where you can, mm-hmm. uh, she would have made a, a good premier. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what your politics are, she would have been good at the job. But she rather than say spending more time with the family, she said, I had a discussion with my family, mm-hmm. which is a bit more sensible thing to say rather than, you know, you're going to give this up to spend more time with your family. But part of it, too, I think is coming out of, well, even though it's not over and I guess we're going to get to that. (laughs) We're definitely going to get to it if we have time Uh, coming out of this two year period where it was just, and she was uh, minister of health, right. Mm -hmm. And deputy premier. 
mm-hmm. you're going to take a lot of heat. I think it was Teresa Tam said way back when the pandemic began, she's like, you know, nobody comes, nobody comes out of this looking good, regardless of what decision you make, somebody is going to be unhappy. Mm-hmm. So lots of pressure. You probably got 10 times more pressure on you than you would have had in a normal. Uh, and we've talked about this, the, the kind of cockiness that the conservatives had before the pandemic. And then it was like, mm-hmm. Ooh, Oh boy, we're in trouble. But yeah. So she's stepping down. Was it, two other in two others in cabinet i think it's totally a uh, total of 11 incumbents for the pcs yeah rod phillips rod phillips is already gone rod phillips uh, is gone and i'm and, forgetting uh something. jeff urich who was yes. un- until the last shuffle and rumor ha- the scuttlebutt was that he was kind of like a covid restrictions skeptic so he had to be shuffled away but he has opted not to run in i think his writing is london middlesex so i mean i mean he is a former cabinet minister and if the the government does come back he would probably be someone who could be fill a role in cabinet again especially if they're losing uh kind of experienced people like christine elliott and rod phillips so you know, it's it, it is yeah. So it is eleven, but I mean that, that also doesn't count. And I did this calculation a couple of months ago that, it, that there were something like nine people in the conservative caucus who aren't there anymore because they were essentially kicked out. So people like, I mean, obviously Hillier, people like Jim Watson, people like uh, Randy Barber, Rick Nichols, and Carhalios. Uh, Carahal, yeah, Belinda Carahalios, mm. um, uh, Lindsay Park, who left because of the whole snafu about am I allergic to vaccines or am I not thing. Oh so, yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's there's like a, you know, there are going to be a lot of people, uh, new people running under the PC banner, and it'll be interesting. Uh, the um, It'll be interesting to to note whether those are vulnerable seats or not. But the thing is, um, and I know you're dying to talk about Helia, but (laughs) the thing is, (laughs) it it, it is interesting because you have 11 people on the conservative side. So far, three NDP people have decided that they're not going to run again. Hmm. There is an empty... I mean, Kathleen Wynne said she would finish out her term and then retire on, on the liberal side. And Michael Coteau, that's an empty seat, um, but it has been more or less liberal since time and memoriam. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> so, you know, it really is interesting that this party that formed government four years ago after being in the wilderness for 15 years and 11 of them are saying thanks, but no thanks. I'm not running again. That's. There is some kind of statement there. Whether that statement is just, um, you know, it's it's been a long two years helping to manage yeah. the pandemic, and or it, whether it's like God being in the progressive conservative caucus <laughs> is a pain in the ass. That I think that that's going to be in somebody's book later on. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's I, there was talk of of course a month or two ago about. How all of the, you know Rob Ford? He'll probably be premier again. But with numbers like these, when you look at numbers like these, that's not necessarily the case because incumbents mm. generally win. We know there's certain ridings in the province, as you said, that some that are always conservative, some that are always liberal. Mm-hmm. 
and of course, uh, he, you know, the, the pocket in, in Hamilton, other places that are NDP. But somebody like, oh, we forgot Amanda Samard, who was oh, the yeah. first, she was the first defector, let's call her, yeah. who was an independent for a while and then went to the liberals. The odds of her winning a seat again, her seat again, are probably good. She's changed teams. But yeah, the ones that are going to be interesting are like Randy Hillier's writing. Like mm-hmm. it will probably go conservative, whoever runs. They just need to find somebody. I feel I've said this before. They just need to find somebody from, from that area that's not, Randy <laughs> and to add and to add to his pain he got kicked off of twitter this week i'm not sure if you heard that like oh i saw it yeah yeah, yeah. finally violated this the rules like like it he took, had yeah. before right it took me a while to figure out why it's because <laughs> he's he was like making some pretty unscientific conclusions about these um vaccine trial documents that a court ordered pfizer to release and um it's i mean it's pretty granular like some of like some of the information in that in terms of like what you know adverse effects were and you know things like that but it's it's uh it's super weird that that's the <laughs> that was the silver bullet but anyway well, I, I suspect <laughs> it might have been complaint driven right it could have been but the thing is i'm i guess we shouldn't count hillier out but this is the other thing that will affect the conservatives too. Not just the fact that these people aren't running. If there's any bleed to whatever surfaces that is the convoy caucus mm-hmm. in certain writings mm-hmm. that are close, uh, and you know there's there's some upset there. That is where they're going to lose it. I mean, my my best guess right now is minority, mm-hmm. but uh, you know it's it might be a little early yet to to call that, but. Um, if, if these factors are in play, it's, it's minority for sure mm-hmm. and whatever else is happening. But yeah, and you earlier, I want to get to Roman Baber because that was just mm-hmm. announced on Wednesday that he's going to run for the federal leadership. <laughs> and Him. so is Patrick Brown, which is like these are two provincial people. Obviously, Brown, you mentioned him being the leader 2018, mm-hmm. and he finally got his apology from CTV. He didn't get any money in the lawsuit, but that apology... I guess permits him to move forward now and be and run for the federal job. Well, it's super, we're supposed to be talking provincial, but these are these are two players. Yeah. Roman Baber's not really a player. I'm not sure what it's. I think it's just you know get some attention. He's, he's not a conservative provincially anymore, so why not th- go for it? Well, him? I think I think he's trying to get the Derek Sloan vote because you get Leslie Lewis now <laughs> um, running again. Jean Charest is. Returning, yeah. <laughs> returning from the crypt to run again. Um, you know, Brown hasn't committed yet, but it seems likely with his. Oh yeah, he's in. with his yeah. record of being the mayor of a town he's never lived in for four years, and then keeping the backbench warm for ten years under Harper. Uh, <laughs> it's oh my goodness that <laughs> that conservative race is going to be off the chain. Yeah. But we will have to leave it there because we have to return to we have to put our serious faces on. We are going to talk to Father Andre Fiegel, who is the pastor of the Holy Protection of the Mother of God Ukrainian Catholic Church down on York Road. And he's going to talk about uh, the local impact of the war in Ukraine on people who are of Ukrainian origin, let's say. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio.
And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records 21 MacDonnell in the downtown. And you'll have to check out their classical section for that. <laughs> One week, The Clash. The next week, Tchaikovsky. Most people recognize that. It is known as the theme from Swan Lake. And there's a bit of a political slash uh, media dig in there and that uh, people in the former Soviet Union and Russia know something is up when Swan Lake is playing. And this, what is the TV station again, Adam? I should know this. I should have made better notes. Uh, rain, TV rain. TV rain. As yeah. they walked off the air, we're playing the theme from Swan Lake as a nod to, you know, this, this is the, this is the tape that we put on when we don't know what else to put on and the government is uh, falling or failing. So, yeah, it's a bit like the in gremlins too, when he puts on the, the, the <laughs> end of the world. Tape. It's, it's exactly like that. <laughs> we need to watch to, Gremlins 2 again. Just get, we get. regret to announce that the world is coming to an end and we're going <laughs> off the air. Um, <laughs> Please press one. Yeah. yeah I mean, this was before press one. This was 19... Yeah. Rotary? 90? <laughs> oh, almost. Um, I'm glad we have a little bit of levity there because we're going to get into mm. some very serious stuff talking with Father Andre Fiegel of the Holy Protection of the Mother of God, Ukrainian Catholic Church. And uh, his parish organized a rally down at Market Square this past weekend. There are more events coming up this weekend. Um, but, you know, it, it is worthwhile talking to people like Father Andre about the, the human cost of war because he and his parishioners are kind of living it. They all have, for the most part, families back home and uh, they have some stories to tell. So uh, we will let father andre beagle tell them we're going to hit play on the interview we did with him uh earlier this week right now father andre beagle thank you so much for joining me today you're welcome adam and thank you very much for inviting me for being part of this let's just um start off by talking about your church uh down on york road for people who may not know i mean the the building on the other side of the covered bridge it's kind of hard to miss but um Mm -hmm. It's taken on obviously new uh, importance as, as we're seeing what's happening in Ukraine. Um, but can you just begin by talking about uh, how many parishioners uh, you have and are, are they all kind of like have family back home or like are they all kind of on pins and needles because they have that personal connection? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you for that question. Uh, first of all, our parish is the holy protection of the mother of God. So Ukrainian, Ukrainian Catholic Church was in the Byzantine tradition under the Pope. Uh, and our patriarch is in Kyiv, which is the capital of Ukraine. So it just gives us a, a natural connection with, with Ukraine because our bishops are here, but their hierarchs and all of our hierarchs are also based in Ukraine itself. Right. Um, secondly, also our parish community has been a part of Guelph since the uh, 1950s. Uh, and it's been founded by, you know, a few families that gathered and says, no, we'd like to keep our traditions and pray together in our language and in our ways. And, and so the community of Guelph was very gracious and, uh, to, 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 all, to, give them, to you know, give them this land, which they purchased right by the river. Beautiful, beautiful spot, you know, of Guelph <laughs> uh, today, you know, right? And uh, close to... Uh, one of the best ice cream places in town and uh, <laughs> by, the, by the covered bridge in that, you know, so it's, yeah. So, and, you know, being a Ukrainian, it's not really an ethnic church because no churches are really ethnic, right. but having that name of Ukrainian because our, our roots are from Kyiv 
and our hierarchy is in Kyiv. So we are called the Ukrainian uh, Byzantine Catholic Church. And with that, you know, it attracts a lot of people that come from Ukraine or have heritage in Ukraine or Guelphites whose uh, family members build the church. And so there's that uh, deep connection. And of course, we all have somehow family in Ukraine currently as well, whether it's long lost cousins or great, great, great aunts and uncles or our own siblings living there and cousins and uh, uh, yeah, parents of family that are, that are currently there. So yeah, there's a, there's a deep and direct connection or others have it through marriage as well or mm. other ways through friends, right? So, so there's all kinds of extended connections that are go directly to, to this place of peace typically, but now invaded by Putin's terrorists and invaders for absolutely no reason, uncalled for. May I ask, do you have family in Ukraine? I do. I do. So from my, my side of the family, no, in our tradition, again, in the Byzantine Catholic and, uh, tradition is we, our clergy are married. So my wife's cousins are there. Her aunt and uncles are there. Uh, so like, and we're, we, we've been in contact you now forever and constantly, regularly, you know, weekly, uh, now daily, and even a few, few times a, uh, uh, a day and you know and their children uh, from my side it's uh, my my parents direct family which is my family as well of course uh, and my ch- our children's families too so we do have you know, c- close relative families that we keep in touch regularly just like you know we do here in Canada and Guelph uh, and also some extended family that we're reaching out and we do have family also in Poland that are actively participating in receiving refugees and organizing uh, you know ways to support them to direct them to have them employed settled children educated food clothing shelter everything you know mm-hmm. finances and uh, participating community life and that yeah i think there's a, a number of things that we kind of overhear that we're not you know in ukraine experiencing th- things firsthand and, and one of the things i wanted to ask you about was uh, we over here were a bit doubtful that Vladimir Putin would, you know, make this move to just like fully on invade a foreign country, essentially. Um, But for, you know, the people, you know, back home, um, were they surprised? Like, have they been like essentially waiting on pins and needles for years for Putin to make the move? So, so just to bring some light to this is that, um, you know, for us in Canada and you know, in the States and NATO countries, this seems to be a new uh, event, but Russia invaded Ukraine eight years ago mm-hmm. when they annexed Crimea with one swing, just came in with their boats and just executed anybody who was, who was non-supportive of them, literally. Uh, all those who were the uh, indigenous people, uh, who were not supportive were uh, were suppressed, oppressed, and and executed. Um, and the people that are indigenous there currently uh, are also very, very oppressed and suppressed. Um, the east, the far eastern part, the Donetsk region, it's almost like a province, mm. but, so they call them regions. Um, and the Luhansk region, uh, they are very highly industrial areas and very lots of natural resources. 
So, of course, you know, the greed of Putin's uh, ideology and his supporters and his cronies and his oligarchs and all those people that support him, you know, they wanted to grab that land and just ex extract all the resources that are there. And this is not his land. This is Ukrainian land. Uh, and so he figured, oh, I'll come in by force. <laughs> and so people have been fighting back and forth. And he says, well, why not? I'll just take a step in and claim it's mine and it's going to be mine just because I said so. And people are saying, no, this is not yours. So by what right? By what, by what treaty? By what agreement? No, this is very wrong. And this is, it's stealing, mm. lying and uh, terrorism. That's exactly what it is. And so he sent his, his people, his soldiers to, and his civilian supporters to occupy those lands, to massively populate those lands. And then says, well, let's do a referendum now. Let's see what people are voting for. Well, of course, it's people who, who you sent, who you planted there, and they they're outnumber everybody else. So this is all fake. It's all mm -hmm. lies, and it's all untrue. And it's extremely, extremely unneighborly, <laughs> but to say it to say it in a, in a nice way. But I was going to say to say the least, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a very horrible, horrible, horrible uh, neighbor and authority to have as a neighbor. Right. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I remember back in I guess it was January we started hearing these rumblings about uh, Putin making further moves into Ukraine and. Um, I was shocked uh, doing, you know, digging into the research about what was going on in, in the best and, you know, 14,000 people dead in the last eight years. Mm -hmm. um, you would think that would make the news more. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, out of curiosity, uh, are you have you been able to stay in touch with your family in Ukraine? And um, if, if you have, like, I, I guess what are what are kind of you know what, mm -hmm. what what are they facing right now what are they so my our, our our family my my family personally are in the um western area of ukraine okay. mostly in lviv mm -hmm. lviv lviv in, in that area it was bombed but now it's a little bit more it's less getting less attention you know mm -hmm. i guess who knows what's going on in putin's head it's <laughs> un unpredictable and it's just very cruel and vicious and just evil you know, that's the, the only term I can actually use on this. So you, you can't really you know as non-evil people as we are, we can't imagine how evil people process and think and what their goals really ultimately are. You know, all we name, all we need to do is name it and, and stand up for, for truth and stand up for what is right. Um, you know, in this, in this time of chaos and hurt. So our family is doing what they can. They are the, 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 the men, 18 and up. One of my uh, grandnephews is, um, he turned 18 in November, so he can't leave the country. And he actually didn't want to leave the country. And, mm. and his dad, they are in process of being recruited. They need training, so they have to wait for their round to be trained. So in the meantime, through uh, different uh, youth organizations like the, the Scouts in Ukraine and the Ukrainian Youth Association in Ukraine and church organizations, you know, uh, Christian organizations and other organizations that they, they help to provide to, to actually sneak to the border uh, and to bring, bring in goods, whether mm. it's food goods, medical goods, uh, gear for, for the military, but mostly for civilians also, because civilians need helmets, they need um, bulletproof vests you know, to protect them because the Russians are not just fighting 
the military, they're fighting everything and anywhere. It's like just, you know, closing your eyes and just let it all shoot anywhere and everywhere. You know, so everybody's a target. Every single human being is a target mm-hmm. from the most, uh, no, uh, politically inclined person to the sim, to the people that are working the land, the seniors that are barely able to move from their homes to the newborn babies that are also being shot and killed, um, you know, for no reason at all. And so everybody needs protection. And this is the kind of gear that we could provide from Canada. I understand that there's countries in, in Europe that are already sold out of those materials and people in Ukraine are manufacturing them however they can uh, to protect to protect soldiers, the frontline people, but, and the volunteers, but also to protect themselves as individuals, citizens, whether they're in cities, populated cities, or they're in villages, or in smaller towns, wherever they may be, or on the road between one another, on the trains, and other things. Jets keep flying over and just bombing. They just say, here you go, boom, let's bomb here. No no strategy, nothing, just you know, sheer evil. That's all I could say. And that's why we're always crying out, not close the skies. In yeah. addition to this, sorry to, sorry to yeah. No, no, please. To this, our, our parishioners also, so there's one parishioner yesterday, uh, we had um, uh, a planning meeting in, at the parish and we had a prayer service beforehand. And he says he has family in Mikolayev. And Mikolayev uh, is, is the hotspot right now, right like, right as we're talking. Yep. They're being bombarded. And that's a pathway. It's on the south side. of. It's right near the border to, 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 uh, to the region of Krim, which is still Ukraine, but annexed by, by, by Putin's Russians and terrorists and occupied by them. Uh, so it's close to, to Krim, but it's a pathway to Odessa, which is a major uh, port city, major city of trade, international, multicultural, cosmopolitan city, one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world, almost like what, what Toronto is also uh, very, in, um, you know, well-established, well-functioning European city. And so Mikolayev, he, he says, I was, I was talking to my, to, my, to my cousins this morning, this one fellow parent parishioner says, they're being just slaughtered. They're just being, the whole town is just being flattened. Mm-hmm. Imagine all of Guelph, just like one time, everybody, all the buildings just got destroyed, collapsed, gone. No more. I saw it never existed. It's horrible. It's unimaginable. And again, I don't want to scare people, yeah. but that's the reality of war. It's, it's just chaos and suffering, unnecessary suffering for no reason. So, so they're, they're, they're also asking, you know, look, we're, we're fighting the good fight, pray for us. And that's, that's one of the, you know, maybe it's a little bit different in Canada, I guess, how we, how we think about you no know, church and institutions and prayer, uh, you know, they're in times of crisis in times of, and it's not just in crisis, but it's, it's one of these kind of underlining kind of part of our Ukrainian psyche is that, um, you know, we're held somehow to, to accountability to something greater than us just as an individual human being, to our community, to our family, to the country, to the nation, but ultimately also to that the one who gave us this life, mm. and that is to God. So he granted us this life to do something good with it. And this is what we need to do. And we ask you, they're asking us, right? And again, this is not for me as a priest. This is from parishioners, but also non-parishioners too. People meet on the streets and they come up to me. They say, well, because I have this call around that they have this kind of grant to talk to me about religious faith things, right? And they say, well, no, I'd like to tell you that we're praying for people, almost like it's a secret in Canada, right? Says, but, you know, you don't need to hide this. This is, this is part of who we are as human beings, as people. You know, we're not going to get into the whole politics of theology and all these kind of things. That's not what 
pray, just, just, and, and that brings good intentions. And that brings support, solid, grounded, human to human support. That we are grounded in this root of that ultimate goodness, ultimate truth, ultimate drive for dignity for every human being, for freedom for every human being. Uh, I know no matter how, stump, how we stumble along the path of our lives, but that's the core, that's the goal that we always have our eye up, upon. So they're always asking, constantly asking, please pray, keep us in your prayers. And we feel the strength of your prayers because that gives us inspiration. It gives us like this groundedness that we're fighting the good fight. No, sorry for this. No, no, no. It just oh, you know, yeah. reminds me of the old axiom. There are no atheists in foxholes, even if you're not physically in the foxhole. <laughs> Very true, my friends. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People so, may have... No, sorry. Go ahead. So if I could just share one more experience. Sure. Yeah. Is that we have uh, um, uh, in, in our team of um, uh, organizing the Stand with Ukraine, uh, the Guelph team is... Um, one of the fellows that just came on board last week, literally, is his family. He has a uh, family. I, I guess maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't say too much just in case, you know, whatever, right. just not to put him into, uh, into a situation that's not very safe. Mm-hmm. And constantly in contact with them. And, and, and as they were on the phone, you could hear the bombs in the background. Wow. You could hear the explosions. You could hear the cry. You could hear the, the bullets flying, you know, and defending, you know. And so it's just, again... It's terrifying to hear, but they say, we're here to stand. We're fighting with whatever we can. You know, just an anecdote, I guess, in part of this is that uh, the Russians, uh, Putin's terrorists are using, are using drones also to scan mm. the areas where people are settled. Maybe they put weapons on them also. You might have seen this or not, but this is famous. She became very famous. A uh, lady that was living in an apartment building, you know, a, a shut-in, a, a, a lady who's you know, a senior not able to go outside of war in particular, thinking, what can I do? What can I do? She saw this drone flying around, so hovering around outside of her window by the, by the balcony in her small apartment. And she says, oh, she went to the kitchen, took a jar of pickles that she made herself. And he just, she just whacked at this, threw, threw at the drone and just poof, obliterated the drone. Says, <laughs> she's a hero for the nation. She's, yeah. she's a defend, defender for truth. So everybody in their own way, in their own capacity, do are doing what we can. So if we outside of Ukraine you know, need to support them monetarily, uh, pressure our governments to, to step in and to keep and support our government to, to keep feeding them with you no know, defense, uh, defense uh, instruments, tools, no weapons. And from our part also in the humanitarian, the human to human part, keep them in our prayers and to keep supporting and, I'll tell you honestly, uh, you know, and people have been repeating this to me all also is uh, their slogan is you can buy things here, ship them over. That's nice. It's very costly. Sometimes they, they get inundated with those things, but in order and things change there constantly of what the needs are is cash is king. Right. And that's a slow during war. And I said, well, Jesus is king, but you know, <laughs> cash is king as well with a small king. Right. <laughs> So it goes hand in hand that way too. Not just to, to keep our priorities right that way too. Good, because yeah. this does get into what what I uh, I, th- I think what a lot of people who may be listening to this are thinking to themselves right now is like, how can I help right this minute? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned you have your organizing committee. What kind of assistance can the Guelph community offer you now? Okay, so again, uh, you know, uh, if you go to our Facebook 
page. So we're, we're again, originally you were asking how big our, our parish is a, is a community of, I would say about, well, generously 55 families. Okay. Uh, small, but mighty. Small and being, <laughs> being in Guelph is just a, a place of great compassion. And, and we're very, very honored and, and privileged to, to, be, to be Guelphites ourselves as well, you know, and this wonderful and beautiful, loving community. Uh, we did a collection of all kinds of goods for young families, for refugees. Our hall now is inundated with diapers and, and formula. And it just smells like you no know, uh, wipes and stuff like this, all those kind of nice baby smells uh, that we have from those products. Uh, we have a whole uh, load of, of clothing that we have to sort of figure out what to do. But the needs currently are others as well. So we'll, we'll have these things transported to, um, to the refugee camps, particularly in Poland. Mm -hmm. But we're looking for, for this. We're looking for somebody who's willing to generously offer shipping, shipping costs. We have, we have them here. We have somebody to, to receive them, uh, like a Grand Central Station in Ukraine, in Poland, rather, that is a, a parish and that all the network of parishes have connected together, you know, Catholic, Orthodox and others as well, like all the denominations, whatever, pretty much are in all the different faith groups. And they're, they're, they're just working on this, transforming it to be these uh, human, humanitarian uh, stations and, and uh, you know, quasi agencies. So right now we're looking for generous donors or those who are connected to shipping, uh, whether by preferably by air, but if not, then by sea, to to that area. We have addresses. We have people. Uh, we have people there waiting for these things. We have people to receive them. It's just a matter of transporting from here to there. Uh, that's the number one priority right at this time. Number two priority is on again going back to our Facebook page. Uh, currently, we have the it's called the uh, Ukrainian Church Guelph Community. That's the page on uh, Facebook. And th there we have information about the organizations that we support and uh, that the, our diocese eparchy supports as well. And uh, one of those parts as well is cash donations. And we are accountable to this. We're preparing a press release from the collection we received uh, during the um, rally on Sunday. And again, thank you to everybody for participating, for supporting and just beautiful generosity, outpouring of, of again, compassion and love. And, and that, that love will, will be spread to the families in need, to the hospitals, to the orphanages that are, that are stuck, uh, to the uh, senior people that are, that are you know, bed, bedridden, that can't leave their, 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 their homes, hospitals mm. who, are, who are healing people and civilians and babies that are, that are you know, uh, affected by the war and those who were waiting their routine um, routine you know medical uh, procedures that everything was just delayed and thrown upside down because of this you know and everything right. was just shifted and they need still their, their attention as well whether it's you no know, cancer treatment or or heart transplant whatever whatever it may be you know so that still goes on as well um, so again cash is 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 key right now and that's that's a very um, effective way of, of helping people. Maybe to wrap up, you know, this is an ongoing crisis. We're almost at the end of the second week. Um, mm -hmm. and, and to the credit of the Ukrainian people, they are giving as good as they are getting, if not better. Mm -hmm. But when, when, you know, you lay your head down after a long day of uh, working with the community and you know being in contact with people and talking about the the humanitarian crisis, uh, what keeps you up at night? I mean, 
how mm. long can how long can this go on? Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, my wife is very much involved as well. You now, be, being the intermediary for for our group between here and there, and just having the year directly to to and no, it's seven hours difference also, right? So they're they're seven hours ahead of us right now. It's going into into the evening time, uh, late afternoon and evening. Um, so like late at night, it's, uh, no connecting with them, staying in touch, but it's almost like, and you know, like, again, like coming out of the pandemic of COVID and trying to keep, uh, our mental health and spiritual health, uh, as, as, um, fit as, as, as we can. So then no, we, we, we go to, go to sleep saying gratitude, uh, for all the good people in Guelph, students, residents, uh, families, uh, people from different religious uh, communities, from you know people who who we know who are close, people who are anonymous, and that we we support you, we we, we pray for you, and we thank you, you know. So we call, we go to bed in, in in gratitude that we could do our part, you know, and yeah, mm. and. Sh- nights are short that's for sure <laughs> uh and and then but you know we, we sort of keep 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 in check with one another yeah. you know in our team in the community also and just this outpouring of of um nice outreach people are reaching out saying that you no know, we're ready to when refugees do come to, to guelph we're ready to to to, to accept them to our homes and so we're preparing space we're preparing uh, or you no know, when jobs come to or people want to say you know like let's maybe you know whatever bring bring our thoughts and ideas together once we get to that point um so so that that gives us great uh inspiration energy energizes us you know and uh yeah so again thank you thank you thank you well thank you and uh i i think no matter who you pray to uh even if you don't pray at all we're all praying for peace right now so Mm -hmm. we're joining you in that uh father andre fiegel Thank you so much for all your time and uh, all your work you're doing. It's much appreciated. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Adam, and the uh, CFRU, University of Guelph Radio, and all the listeners. God bless you, and uh, let's let's keep them in our prayers and, and do what we can from our sides. Thank you. Thank you, Guelph. And that was a Father Andre Fiegel. Uh, for everyone who's listening, if you, you know, even if you are have already given uh, a couple of bucks but are looking to still make your voice heard or if maybe you don't have a couple of bucks to give but you definitely want to make your voice heard uh there is going to be a walk to support the ukrainian uh war effort well not to support the war effort but support the people there it starts at 1 p.m on saturday at city hall and it will walk to uh to fixed gear brewing Oh. which is on Elma Street South. So that's going to be quite the hike. Uh, hopefully it'll be good weather for a walk on Saturday. That's gonna, that's uh, hosted by the Guelph Polish for Active Transportation, by the way. They're organizing that. Hmm. And then our local indigenous community will be holding a sacred fire ceremony at the sacred fire in Royal City Park on Sunday at noon. So there you go. 
Lots going on. Lots going on as usual. And that's where we're going to have to leave the show. You could stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire. And we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you would like to listen to our show again, download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can find my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all CFRU scheduling information to find out when all the fan tastic shows are on, check out <laughs> CFRU.ca slash shows. And stay tuned for one of those shows right now. DJ Sounds Good to Me. She is here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources. And we will see you then.